Well, you can go ahead and take a seat. Um, and our youngest friends, our preschool age kiddos, are um, invited to join us for the kids' table. I think our elementary age kids are going to be remaining in the service on a fifth Sunday today. They have some special things. But our youngest friends are invited back with Miss Olivia and some fun times ahead. But um, just want to welcome everybody. Uh, thanks for coming today. Thanks for being here. Lots of new faces. I see if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Pastor Chris. Um, I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church, and I know we also have quite a few people online as well. We have a great online ministry and people that are engaged there, so that's always a blessing when it works, right? When technology works, we are thankful for it. When it doesn't, we're not so happy, but... Um, but anyway, uh, thanks for being here, and, and today we're wrapping up uh, our, our study of the book Haggai, Haggai, and if you don't have never heard of that um, name before, it's uh, the name of a prophet in the Old Testament scriptures. Um, I like to dive into some of the books in the Bible that most of the time we either gloss over or we have no idea what's going on in them. And this is kind of one of them. It's nice. It's short and sweet. It's only two chapters. So if you get a chance, if you're just joining us for the first time, go ahead and check that out, as well as the previous messages. But we're wrapping up our study today of this book and this series that we've called The Time Is Now, because that's basically the message that is conveyed to Haggai, to the Israelites at this time. But um, if you missed the previous weeks, don't worry. I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory so that all of this that we're talking about will make sense to you. So um, in your worship guides, there's this little timeline there if you um, have that and want to keep that or follow along. But we're going to put it up on the screen as well. And we went back up all the way to the, the, uh, to, to the time of the building of what was the first temple of the people of Israel. And that was under King Solomon, King Solomon who was um, right after David. And there was a time of splendor. And, and we talked about in previous weeks how the temple that was built was kind of the equivalent of Disney World. <laughs> it's like the Disney World castle. Like people came from all over to see this place, to worship there. It was of great splendor. But then what happened in 587 BC, hundreds of years later, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, destroyed Judah, and they came into the city and crushed the temple that Solomon had built. They destroyed it. They set it aflame. They destroyed the entire thing. And so they conquered the people too. And this was a huge blow. Uh, it was a huge blow to the people. There was a spiritual blow to go after something that was very religious in their practice and thinking. And then over the next 50 years, over the next 50 years, the Jews were in captivity under the Babylonians. They were taken over and they were sent away, but then 50 years go by and they're finally allowed back. They're finally allowed back. Imagine the joy that they had, right? Uh, the, the, to go back to their homeland, to go back to their place, to rebuild their homes, to rebuild their lives, and given permission to rebuild the temple. Wow. Like, finally, right? And so they take this opportunity. They start super strong. They build the foundation to the temple. They build the altar, those two really important things. But then all of a sudden, they start getting some opposition. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I've encountered two types of opposition. External, like from other people and other voices. And then there's kind of the internal, right? That voice of discouragement that kind of gets in your head, those tapes that go over and over and over again. Well, they received opposition from the Samaritans, and that's when they quit. They quit. They quit building the temple. 
And so there was a time period that nothing transpired, and they kind of went back to their, to their own homes, and they started to rebuild their homes and their own lives. But that's when God raised up the prophet Haggai to tell the people the time is now. The time is now to get to your unfinished business. We have habits, we as people, human beings, we have habits of having unfinished business in our lives. And he's saying, now's the time to go back to that, guys, to rebuild. And of course, they started again. They soon became discouraged. And we talked about this last week when their temple that they were building didn't match the temple that was under Solomon, right? It was kind of like the Pinterest fail. You look and you say online, I want the cake to look like this, and yours comes out like that, right? And that, So they got very discouraged about that. They were comparing things. And, and when we read between the lines, we can see those parallels as that battle is one that we face as well. That we try to follow God too, and things don't go well. We don't seem to match up or be making progress. We try really, really hard. And so they became really discouraged, and God once again interjects and says, come on, guys. Get back to the work. Get back to the work that you had started. The time is now. But the question I want to tackle today as we kind of finish this book and this story is the question of why. The question of why. The overarching theme has been doing the hard right thing, getting back to the unfinished business. But why do the hard right thing? Why? Like, why? Why, why do the hard right thing for God, especially when it gets really, really hard? I remember a number of years ago when I was, um, before I started out in ministry, I um, was attending a church that I loved, and I remember uh, wanting to tell people about it. You know, sometimes, like, you know, whether it's a restaurant or a church or whatever, like, you, you talk about the things that you love, right, that you want to be a part of. Well, um, I invited a friend of mine for work to church. And, um, and she had a lot of stuff going on in her life at the time and relationships and work stuff and moving and just a lot of things. And I remember inviting her to church. She came with me one Sunday. Afterwards, we went out to lunch. And I'm like, so what did you think? And her words to me were, didn't work. Didn't work. And I'm like, you know, what, did you, what do you mean by that? She said, nothing changed. Nothing changed in my life. And I was thinking just in my head as we're like eating and all, I'm like, you know, do, do you think, I don't know, like there, you have a lot of stuff, right? And like, there's just like an hour's time. And so I asked her, do you think God's going to change all of that in an hour? And she said, I was hoping he would. I mean, but, but think about it. Has that ever crossed your mind? And maybe you've been in a place like that. You know, I tried the thing. I spent the hour. I said the prayer and it didn't work. It didn't work. You know, has it ever caused you to maybe re-examine why you're doing what you're doing in the first place? But there's lots of better things you could be doing on Sunday morning, right? Lots of other things, lots of other options. There's other things that you could be participating in during the week. There's other ways that we could be living our lives, and especially in difficult circumstances. But that's the thing about hard things. They bring to the surface what's really inside of us, what's really in the heart. See, God could have sent Haggai home when there had been enough progress on the temple. They went through this period of discouragement, they got back to the work, then they get discouraged again, they get back to it. But once there was enough progress on the temple, God could have said, okay, temple's getting worked on, like maybe it's not the same, but it's still getting put up, right? He could have sent Haggai home and said, okay, go back to your business. Remember, Haggai was probably uh, part of our 55 and older generation. He's probably in his mid-70s when he was called to serve God. 
So he had a lot on his plate, right? And, and so you think about that. Had God just like, okay, said, okay, well, you guys finish the temple. Go ahead and do that. We would have had an even shorter book and a shorter sermon series. But, but he encouraged them to keep building, to stay strong, to do the work, to persevere through discouragement. And all of that would have been fine if God were really only about building a temple. All that would have been fine if God were only about building a temple, but God is always more about people than any temple. God is always more about people than anything or building. He's more about building people, shaping people, loving people than buildings. And that's a good, just a little reminder for us, even as a church, when we begin to focus on buildings over people, there's something wrong. See, the story of Haggai is not really about building or rebuilding a temple. It's about building people. It's about people. That's more important to God. And that's why the story goes on. And we, we see that God shows us what was in their heart first by what they did when it was hard. See, they're following God's directions here, but then if we rewind a little bit, this is a a scripture we visited the first week. If we go back to chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, we see this is in the midst of their discouragement. They backed off from building the temple. We see, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? You may remember from this little section of scripture that God's people, they quit the temple because it got hard, and they went back to rebuilding their own houses for themselves. And that shows us here that the problem wasn't that they were unable to build things. The problem was not their, uh, their ability to build. It was their motivation. It was what they were about, what was inside of them. So I want to look at several motives here, four possible motives that could serve for the reason why we would do the hard right thing for God. And the first motive why you might do a hard right thing is for the blessings. It's for the blessings. To be blessed that in return you're going to get something. And there's, there's a word for this or there's a term for this. It's called conditional obedience. Conditional obedience. I mean, it's kind of like if you've ever went to a vending machine. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Uh-oh, you're hungry, you put the money in, it's not coming out, right? Remember this happened to me once, I was in an airport, it was like after hours, everything was closed, the only thing there was like the vending machines, and like go and like put the money in, I'm like, I really want that Snickers bar, right? Go in, put it in, and I'm like, ready? And then like the thing gets caught on the side, right, that little like arm that's holding the thing, and I'm like you got to be kidding me. I'm like shake, trying to like shake the thing. And I want the thing to like fall on me, right? And it's just, just like, like, what's with that, right? What I put in, I should get something out. Finally had to find somebody to get my candy bar for myself. But, but think about that. Sometimes we think of God as a blessing vending machine. That what we put in, we do the right thing. We do the hard right thing. God should reward us. We should be blessed. And then it becomes more like the broken vending machine. You know, God, I'm in as long as you're delivering, as long as it doesn't cost me too much, and as long as I get something. But as soon as I don't get something, as soon as it gets stuck somehow, if it's uncomfortable, inconvenient, I don't get what I want, I pull back. I pull back. I remember even there was a time in my life that I chose to get back at God by boycotting church. (laughs) 
to say, well, you know, I'm not getting what I want out of life, so therefore I'm not going to go to church anymore for you, God, right? Like, amazing, but, but we think of that. Um, my mom, my mom is a retired teacher. Um, she would tell me stories about some working with some of her students. I know we have several teachers here with us. Um, and, and she called this, this idea, not just the vending machine idea, but she called it like selective listening. I don't know if you've ever encountered selective listening. It's to hear what you want to hear and follow what you want to follow. You know, you can shout in a classroom or maybe even in your home, like, can you pick that up to your kids, right? Do they hear it? No, they don't hear anything. But you can just whisper the words ice cream, and guess what? Little feet come running, right? It's hearing what I want to hear. But we do the same thing. We hear from God what we want to hear. You know, it can be like, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, know the plans I have for you to bless us and prosper us, not to harm us. Give me a hope and a future, and we love that verse. But then we see it apart in Scripture that talks about forgiving my enemies. And we're like, screw that one, right? You don't know my enemies. I'm not forgiving them. Like, they did the wrong thing, right? Or pray for my enemies. Yeah, sure, God, I'll pray for them. I'll pray you, they, that they go you know where. But confess my sins, I don't have any sins. You know, I mean, I mess up. I make mistakes, but I'm not no murderer, right? Serve the orphan and the widow. Well, where they are is probably they did something to deserve that, right? They don't deserve my help. See, the problem with that kind of thinking about having a motive just to be for the blessings, the right thing will not always pay out. The right thing, it will not always pay out. You may not get anything. Actually, you might be losing something. It may cost you to follow. So let's fast forward to chapter 2, which is kind of the post-discouragement period for the Jews after they've been building the temple and they quit and they build the temple and quit. And, and God tells Haggai, this is where he could have ended the book, but he didn't. So God tells Haggai, the prophet, to go and ask the priest, the religious guy there, some questions some questions. Once again, to get really to the heart of what God really wants from them. So and let me say first, it sounds a little bit weird at first, and I'm going to try to unweird it for you, um, but it goes into starting in verses 11 through 12 in chapter 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. So let's pause there. So just so you know, when priests were going to have a sacrifice in the temple, they would always wear their robes, wear really long robes. Maybe you've even worshipped in a church that wore robes, right? There's kind of like a very religious symbol there. So they would use their robes to take a little part of that extra fabric, and they would fold it up in a little pocket here to kind of keep the meat, the meat that they would go to sacrifice. And so Haggai's basically asking, well, when you pick up that meat, does, your holiness, does the holiness rub off on the unholy? And the answer that the priests give is no. And so modern parallel here. So you wash your hands. You go to the sink. You pick up the dirty dish. Do your clean hands make the dirty dish clean? No, right? Our kids would love to do that, that, that were the case, right? But no, you know, I would like that. I hate doing dishes, right? The dirty, the clean hands don't make the dirty dish clean. It doesn't work that way. And so he's getting at a second motive here. And that second possible motive to do the hard right thing is out of obligation. Out of obligation. 
See, like it's thing, the thing with the priest, the problem is eventually it makes no sense. When you're just doing something out of obligation, you're just going through the motions, the problem is eventually it's just not going to make sense. See, what Haggai's pointing at here, what God is pointing at here is the temple doesn't make you right with God. Just because you're rebuilding a, a religious place doesn't make you right with God. You can insert any religious action there. Fill in the blank. This thing doesn't make you right in God, with God in and of itself. And, and that's why we, when we do baptisms here, we talk about like there's no magic water, right? Water doesn't save you. There's no magic building, it's not like, you know, you come in here and all of a sudden there's like something amazing that just like descends on you. You know, even, dare I say, going to church doesn't make you right with God. It's not that. And that's what happens. is out of obligation. We start doing these things and we think, okay, I'm checking the boxes and, you know, do the hard right thing because I should do it. But eventually, eventually it doesn't make sense. But then he continues, verses 13 to 14. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, it's another little flip side here. If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. It's kind of the flip side of the hand washing and the dirty dish thing, right? You wash your hands and disinfected them real well, and you go and you pick up the dirty dishes. You better wash your hands again, right? Because your hands were just, in a sense, defiled. But the tradition he's talking about is that tradition of cleanliness amongst the, among the Jews, that touching something deemed unclean would then make you unclean. If a person is unclean, then everything that they do is deemed unclean. And that gets us to another possible but broken motive here. And that motive is that we can do hard right things to earn brownie points with God. I don't know about you, I ordered my Girl Scout cookies just yesterday. Very happy to support Girl Scouts and brownies, right? Like to eat those things. And, but, but you know, you like to earn brownie points, get on God's good side. But that's not how God works. The good you do doesn't make you right and doesn't make it right. You know, we could say it this way. When your heart isn't right, what you do will be wrong. Let, let that sink in. When, when your heart isn't right, what you do will be wrong. And the problem is the right action with the wrong heart becomes wrong, becomes the wrong thing. It's happened to you, right? At some point, when, when somebody treated you well just for a certain season and, and maybe they went out of their way and then you realize that they were after something, right? The right thing that was done but for the wrong reason made it wrong. You know, Jesus was always concerned about the heart more so than actions, there's a story, there's a story in the Gospels when Jesus and his disciples, they watch people that were giving lots of money to the temple. And they're standing there and they see this poor widow who comes over and she drops a couple pennies in for her offering. And Jesus tells his disciples, like, you know, these people, they're giving out of their excess, but this woman gave all that she had where her heart was. It's about the heart. He also says, if you're going to lay a sacrifice at the altar... And you realize that you have something in your heart against someone else. 
Jesus says, please leave the gift and go and make that relationship right. It's about the heart. It's not just about what you're doing. He even called the Pharisees, I, I love this. This is like, you know, you get mad at somebody, you want to say something that's not a cuss word, but it's kind of derogatory. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He said, you whitewashed tombs, meaning that they were so clean on the outside, but yet so empty on the inside. Clean gravestones, in a sense. The outside's okay, but dead on the inside. And this goes along sometimes with even serving and doing ministry. And maybe you've experienced this, that you've been doing ministry and been so busy doing, 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 and for some reason there's something inside you that's been missing and empty, and that's for good purpose because doing ministry and serving doesn't replace your heart relationship with God. It's so important. The right thing but the wrong heart. And that gets to the real reason for doing the hard thing. And that's where Haggai points out is that it needs to be out of a heart for God. That's the right motive. We don't obey God so he'll bless us. We obey God because we love him. It's a different order. We don't obey God in order to be right with God. No, it comes out of already receiving that grace, receiving that love. We follow God because we love him. It's a different order. Um, looking back, uh, one of the famous football greats of all time was a football star named George Gipp. He played for Notre Dame, and it was said that he was the most amazing player, could play any position. He could throw, he could catch, he could tackle, he could kick. And unfortunately, when he was very young, George Gipp died of pneumonia. But um, he had a, a close friend who later became the coach, um, co his friend Coach Newt. And it's said, it's reported that, um, that, that as uh, Newt was at his bedside while he was, um, while he was suffering and dying of pneumonia, he, George Gibbs said to his friend, he said, sometime rock, when the team is up against it, when the things are going wrong and the brakes are beating the boys, tell them to go in there with all they've got and win one, just win one for the giver. And so Coach Newt took that, took those words eight years later, this is the year 1928, when Notre Dame was tied with the army at halftime, and Newt told his team, win one for the Gipper, and they won. Think about that. An action taken not to, there was nothing, you know, this is a man who, who's passed away by this time. There was nothing that they would earn from him or get from him. It was out of a love for this person. And so there's amazing things that we often do out of love for a person, right? But immeasurably more amazing things can be done out of, the, even hard right things, out of love for God. Out of love for God. See, Jesus showed that obedience to God is not a set of rules to be followed. It's a setting of the heart. It has to start in here. See, a right heart sees obedience to God as an opportunity, not as an obligation. And get this, in Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, there's a term for this. It's called hitter mitzvah, hitter mitzvah. It's written in your notes if you're taking notes. And this term hitter mitzvah in Hebrew means to exalt or beautify God's commands. And so the intent is that we obey God, we follow God, that because it's an opportunity to do something that God told you to do. It's like winning one for the gipper, in a sense, it's an opportunity to do something. 
And, and so they would say things like, I had a chance to do a hit or mitzvah today when the elderly woman asked for my help. And I had to put my work aside and help her. Or I had a hit or mitzvah to share a meal with a neighbor I had a broken relationship with. It's an opportunity rather than a set of rules to be followed. Obedience, in that sense, is always a positive thing. And doing what God has asked is, is joy. It's a spiritual opportunity. But then Haggai continues. He continues this prophecy from God. He says, now give careful thought to this from, day, from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, hail, yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. You know, who are you about, he's asking. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. He's getting to the heart here. He's saying, remember what happened before? When you were doing everything you could to get ahead and live a perfect life. What happened? It all fell apart. Maybe you've reached a point like that in your life. I know I have. A point when things just fell apart. God allowed the blight and the mildew and the hail. And what I've found is that sometimes, sometimes God may not change the situation because God is trying to change your heart. And, and I'm not saying that God is punishing you or that God is sending those bad things, but that God can use those to transform us from the inside out. And isn't it interesting that hard times that we even encounter in our world can bring people together? Isn't that crazy? You know, it brings you to, to realize God's love. It changes us from the inside out. But what's really loving to me is what God did. God called them back and pursued them and told them to show up yet again. And so in this, this last week of this series, God is saying more than anything else, I don't care really about the temple. What I want is your heart. What I want is your heart. He says, I don't care if you have a nice house, if you do nice things, if you do all these good things, even if you build a temple, the biggest battle is always going to be for this, your heart. He says in verse 18, give careful thought. Is there yet only any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not yet borne fruit. He's saying here, the test is when there is no fruit when you don't receiving any, anything and life gets hard. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? That's why it has to come out of that place of love. And see, these, these other words that God goes on to say, after there's no fruit, he says, even though, he says, from this day on, I will bless you. I'll bless you. See, the blessing isn't something we do to earn the blessing actually is in the obedience. The blessing is in the obedience. That God's love is unconditional for us. His grace is a gift that he extends to us. Even though we may waver and go back and forth. See, what's true is that God may do a blessing in you. No one else may see it from the outside. But, but he'll allow you to, to look at and to, to decide and to feel and to, to realize that what he wants is your heart. He will allow you to return to the things in your life and your situation that have not changed. Just like my friend, right? It didn't work. And you may be obeying outwardly, but a return in heart takes us back to fully worshiping God. 
The thing is, many people, many of us, though, think that we obey God is something that we have to do on our own. We have to figure out on our own. But even, even research, even psychology research finds that the teaching and encouragement and accountability of us when we're together corporately has a direct impact on our ability to obey and a heart towards God. That we mold and we shape one another as iron sharpens iron together, that that changes us, that we're wired for community and so are our hearts. They actually, if you're in a room together with people, over a period of time, your hearts will actually sync up, believe it or not, without you even realizing it. That's why it matters, you know, and you know this, you're more likely to go to the gym when you have friends waiting on you. Uh, it's the same as our spiritual health. Even in a couple weeks, we're going to start table groups, which is our small group ministry. It makes a point when we're together because the pull of everything else on your heart is so strong that we need to pull our hearts back. That, that even goes to the idea of giving too. You know, here at Table Life Church, like giving is not a part of dues at all. I've had people ask me, well, you have to pay a certain amount. Like, no, that's not at all. It's not to be blessed, but it's out of the blessing that you've received from God. It shows us where our heart is. And do we trust him? Do we trust him? See, here's the beauty of this story, the story of Haggai. God got their hearts. God got their hearts. See, the, the prophecy ends with God's promise that the things of this world that we think are so important, the things that vie for our hearts and want to win them on a daily basis, all those things one day will pass. And he says this, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I'll take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, declares the Lord, and I'll make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Chosen. Let that sit, sink in. Chosen, not because of building the temple or doing all the nice things or earning your way, but simply because of God's love. Maybe doing the hard thing is an opportunity to be like the signet ring. A signet ring was the stamp of a king that they would take to, to mold. They would put a piece of wax on an envelope or a piece of paper and they would seal it with their signet as a sign and a stamp. So this imagery here is showing that God's stamp on our lives and our part in his story is revealed by our heart for him, by our actions. And that's how Haggai ends. That's how the book ends. And all summed up together, God wants your heart. It's, no, it's not about temples, though temples are a good thing. Temples may show how the things that we're building in our lives, but first and foremost, God wants your heart, and he will never force you because love is never forced. He will always choose you because he loves you. And that idea may happen in a moment, but it also may be a part of a process, and I think that's why Jesus himself invited people to follow to change the perspective of the hard thing in front of you, the unfinished business that may not have a payout. It may not be easy. It may be unpopular, and it may be actually costly. But strangely enough, the mystery of God is that giving your heart is always worth it. 